What's going on, everyone? Andrew Goodman here alongside my co-host, Dylan Piccolo, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Bucking the Trend podcast. Dylan, it's always nice to be back on the pod with you, my man. Andrew, I feel really good about what we got going here, ready to give all of our listeners some quality and some good Bucks content. So we had a pretty good game to talk about right away. Oh, yeah. I mean, potential Eastern Conference Finals preview here with the Bucks taking a 98-97 victory over the Boston Celtics that came down to the wire. And there was some really bad rust going on early for both teams. Both teams are missing a lot of open jumpers, fumbling the ball, turning it over. I really like what I saw down the stretch. No, 100%. I mean, you look at that first quarter, and I think it's about as bad at basketball as you're going to get um, from both of those teams that you'll see this uh, so far this season, maybe minus that game against Miami that the Bucks had. Um, but it was really bad at first. Uh, just not a lot of shot making was happening. Um, really, I think kind of the bridge to get the Bucks to that point was Ursan coming off the bench in that first and second quarter and kind of make, and pretty, making a pretty large impact in the first half. Um, but those are, that's what good teams do. Um, they have depth, and when some, one thing's not working, next man up. And that in, in this situation, it was Ursan. Right. I'm glad you brought up Ursan because, you know, he broke his nose a month or two ago, and he really hasn't been the same player since. But he found himself getting into a groove a few games before the All-Star break, and he came back, had a nice game against Boston, four, four field goals, nine points, four rebounds, and he was plus 13. Team you high. Know, he just, yeah, he just did – you know, the typical Urson things where it's, you know, deflecting balls for offensive rebounds, spotting up for three. And I we even got an open Urson breakaway dunk, which I don't think we've gotten in a long time. A very, very close to not making it Urson dunk. Um, <laughs> he did not look like he was going to uh, – it looked good at first. He was running down, and then I don't think he jumped uh, – jumped very very well so that didn't look very good but uh despite that once Ursan, like we had mentioned came in and kind of wrote the ship um you know the big guys came through Giannis obviously was playing good at the beginning um but he didn't really start dominating really until that uh second and third quarter um but I just wanted to ask you real quick uh I think maybe one of the like lesser storylines obviously because of the magnitude of the game was Nikola Mirotic what did you think about him in the 13 minutes that he had well you know it's always going to be somewhat of a struggle per se with first game in a new uniform with a brand new team new system new coach all that jazz but you know if you look at it 14 minutes three seven from the floor two six from three eight points was a plus one he did a great job spacing the floor if there was one thing I would have changed about his game though is if he would have made that three-pointer after Giannis had that nasty chase-down block on Jason Tatum's uh, dunk attempt. That would have just brought the serve down. I'll tell you, I was there, and right after that happened, right after uh, Giannis had that block on Tatum, stood up because I knew they were going to have a big chance at a momentum three. Uh, mi- missed it. Um, obviously made some big shots at the end. Uh, Middleton did, but... No, I think one telling play um, about Miritich, if you want to go back and look at um, the tape, on, I know on YouTube they have uh, um, get you, every scoring play they have uh, listed there. It's about a 10-minute thing. If you go to the third quarter with about three minutes and 30 seconds to go, there's a really telling play where Giannis drives to the basket. And like he has a lot of times this year, a defender slides in, ready in position to take a charge. Giannis, with the mindset, avoids the charge and kicks it out to Nico in the corner for one of his two threes he hit on the night. I mean, you can see the maturation of Giannis 
in the Bucks bringing in Miritich literally is just another asset to him because you see Giannis's passing ability last night. I mean, he only had six assists, but the six assists that he had were spectacular. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for uh, Nicola, he really doesn't have to do much besides, you know, stand on the perimeter. It doesn't matter how well a team defends Giannis. And I thought Boston actually did a great job defending Giannis yesterday. Giannis is going to find you no matter what. So, you know, it's all about those those uh, Mike Boonhoser blue squares. Absolutely. And another thing, obviously, Miritich is a fantastic three-point shooter, and that's kind of what he's uh, his, he's known for at this point. But I thought it, we saw some interesting defensive lineups out there um, for the Bucks. Uh, you did see Miritich at the five, and obviously, you know, it's Miritich's first game on a minutes restriction. I, I truthfully believe he'll be playing more than 13 minutes <laughs> down the stretch. Um, yeah, I would hope. Yeah, but defensively, I mean, there was a lot of interchangeable parts there. I mean, I saw that sometimes Giannis was guarding Al Horford. Nico was guarding Al Horford. Obviously, Brooke was on Al Horford. So, you know, Miritich is a whole nother cog to that defensive scheme that they could have uh, in come playoff time because, you know, one of the biggest concerns that the Bucks have in the playoffs, uh, you know, if you have a lot of concerns on a 44 and 14 team is Brooke Lopez's defensive ability, um, you know, to step out and guard a Joel Embiid or a Al Horford, but now you got Miritich there and you can interchange. But I also think when you do look at the Bucks defense, they funnel everything to Lopez. So they figured out a way to do that successfully. So I don't necessarily know if that's going to change in the playoffs. So, right. I also think another interesting thing about the game yesterday is when the Celtics raced out to an 11-point lead. Boonholzer went to the bench pretty early. He got, I believe, it was Sterling Brown and Tony Snell. While both those guys didn't really, you know, do much, their stats won't jump out at, at you, but their defensive impact really sort of changed the tide for the Bucks. I was wondering what you thought about um, kind of the minutes that were being out there. DJ Wilson, DNP. Um, Connaughton, DNP, Ursan, uh, 11 minutes, Sterling, eight minutes, Miritich, 13, Snell, 16, and Hill, 21. How much of that is, do you think is going to be like, a, is that the playoff? Obviously it's not, it's not the playoffs right now. And we don't know because Miritich is obviously going to have more minutes, but is that kind of the framework that you're thinking about the playoffs? What the bench is going to look like? Yeah, somewhat for sure. You know, like we said, the Bucks are a deep team. I don't – I'm not so sure on DJ Wilson. You know, he had a really nice uh, month stretch. But I'm personally not as big of a believer as some people are. Obviously, he's a great defender, number one, and he can shoot the three ball. But I think he was playing just a little bit in over his head. But I do think he's a guy that could, you know, give the Bucks some value and maybe like 10-minute spurts around there. But, you know, with the acquisition of Nikola Mirotic, I think that's definitely going to – you know, play big hand in how many minutes he does play. And also George Hill. I thought George Hill yesterday had a really, really, really interesting roller coaster type game. He didn't score. He was 0-3 from the field in 21 minutes, but still, you know, was plus 10 and did provide the Bucks with some solid defense. But, you know, offensively, it was a game for, to forget for George Hill. I think when you look at what the Bucks have defensively in the guard position, you can do a lot of things. And I think that's kind of the true value of George Hill uh, in that role and a similar role that he played in Cleveland on those teams that went to the finals. Um, You know, 
when you can force Kyrie Irving to shoot nine to 27 from the floor and Al Horford also shoots 21 shots, I generally think that you're going to be in a pretty good spot when you play against the Celtics. No, I agree with you for sure. You know, because I mean, and you can tell really throughout that game that Jason Tatum was kind of getting a little upset with Kyrie because Kyrie was pounding that thing. I mean, and if you really want to break down what's wrong with the Celtics, and obviously this isn't a Celtics podcast, but we're, you know, we're breaking down the game. Kyrie dribbles the ball way too much for that team to work. You look at what the Bucs are doing. The Bucs do not have nearly the talent that Boston has, but they play together. When players, even marginal players, play together, it elevates them to a whole nother level. And you saw that with the Celtics last year. I mean, it's hard to say. I think Jason Tatum thinks like he's a one, but I don't know if he's necessarily good enough to be a one. You know what I'm kind of getting at? Yeah. No, totally. You know, I thought the game yesterday was really weird. Kyrie sort of took over down the stretch. And I'm not going to lie, when they had the ball with, what, 3.7 seconds left, I honestly thought Kyrie was going to, like, knowing the Bucks luck, yeah. I thought Kyrie was going to, like, force up some sort of prayer and just get nothing but net and send us away, you know. Not a, you know, not a terrible loss, but that would have been a heartbreaking loss for sure. But what did you like anything you saw from Eric Bledsoe yesterday? I mean – 32 minutes, two of nine from the floor, five points minus 15. It was kind of like a la- sort of like a last year Eric Bledsoe type game. Statistically, didn't like anything that he did, really. I mean, if you look at his stat line like you just mentioned, there's nothing that you really enjoy about anything. Didn't have any right. – had one assist, you know, two of nine from the field, 0 of four from three. You know, I saw – Bled- I was talking to some guy next to me at the game and – I kind of I kind of formed this opinion then, and I kind of thought about it. Eric Bledsoe needs to make layups to before he shoots threes, because yeah. it's literally. Uh, I, I, and I don't have stats on it. It's hard quarry to look up on Basketball Reference, and <laughs> trust me, I'm I'm in one hundred and one with that. I'm working on it. But if he doesn't get a couple shots at the rim, he doesn't feel like he's in a rhythm to me. Right. And a lot of it's weird because a lot of those three point attempts are open. And, you know, to start off the season, he was blistering hot. He's got his field goal percentage up around 49 percent. But his three point percentage earlier in the season, it was hovering near 50 percent. Now it's all the way down to 31.6 on almost five attempts per game. So, you know, I think Bledsoe does some good things offensively, but he also does some really head scratching things as well. But it's kind of one of those things where you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah. But what I did notice though is, and I guess I could maybe see this from being there and on TV, it might be a little more difficult because the cameras, but he wasn't backing down. That's the biggest thing for me, because if you go into the playoff series and yeah, you might have to play Boston in the Eastern conference finals. And there's no question that both guards and the whole Boston Celtics team does not think very much of Eric Bledsoe. You right. could visibly see their bench on the Celtics talking, you know what, to him. I mean, but you didn't see him back down. And at the end of the game, he made almost, I mean, what was the biggest shot of the game before Middleton hit it? He drove to the rim with Horford there, got there, didn't go up right away, hesitated, and made an easy shot. So he needs to use his strength to the, I guess, more efficiently, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Because momentum threes are his game. When he gets hot, he can knock down some momentum threes, uh, you know, streaky-wise. But 
you know, obviously getting to the rim is his bread and butter, but how he can really, when he really elevates and takes over and you see him getting 25, 26 points per game, that's when he's hitting those, uh, you know, momentum threes in transition. Yeah. And I just want to touch on Bledsoe one more time. I think this year we're seeing flashes of sort of a Eric Bledsoe from his Clipper days where he's driving to the rim, you know, having these acrobatic finishes. So, you know, like you said, there's sometimes where he gets to, you know, trigger happy with his jump shot, but if he can stick to driving in the lane, you know, slicing and dicing through the defense, he's really good at that in-between floater and getting a, getting Mm -hmm. a defender, typically a big man on the back of his heels. And he usually has that shot open every time, but can't really go on without talking about Chris Middleton and that big shot. He yesterday to put Boston away. He finished with 15 points and 13 rebounds. While it wasn't his best shooting performance, he still knocked down three, six triples. So, you know, I feel like every game that goes by, he continues to prove how much he is worth to the Bucks team. He he's an ex- extremely important guy, and I it's been chronicled over the last couple weeks with various articles. Um, I think Zach Lowe did one on him uh, for ESPN, kind of talking about how he kind of came through Columbia, uh, his family, his dad took him to Atlanta, and he didn't realize he was very good and. Mark Turgeon offers him at Texas A&M and leaves right away. Uh, He gets hurt in college, so his draft stock goes down. So, I mean, Chris Middleton's been, you know, he's been there and back. He's been pretty much in every role on this team, so he knows what's necessary and what's necessary out of all of his teammates. And he just goes out there and he performs well. Um, I think maybe I'm looking for a, a complete game for him, like quarters, you know, one, one, two, three, and four, rather than, you know, two, four, or two, three, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, he did enough to win. And that's really all you can ask for. Not never, No one was shooting great that night. I mean, truthfully, other than Ursan, which, who knows with him, uh, really, what you're going to get. But, you know. it's Yeah, it's, I just don't. Uh, I'm not even. I'm not even going to get it to the Chris Middleton. I'm not even going to get baited into that. So, we'll we'll move on and talk about Malcolm Brogdon. 34 minutes, six of 14 from the floor, three six from deep, 15 points, six rebounds, four assists, and he just continues to go out and do his thing. And he's another guy who's going to get his own payday as well. Yeah, I mean, all four of these guys are going to get paid uh, this off season. Uh, Malcolm, I thought had a good game. I thought he played a pretty mature game, which is easy to expect out of him. Um, going down, knocking down a couple big transition threes off the dribble. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, but you look at Malcolm, he can pretty much do everything at a B level. And I think that's pretty special to find in the NBA. You I know, agree with that. He does. You know. He does everything at a B level. And that's very valuable in the NBA. How would you would you classify Brogdon as you know the third option for the Bucks or the fourth? Because you know if Malcolm Brogdon's your third or fourth option and he's averaging what nearly 15, 16 points a game, you know that's a pretty damn good third or fourth option to go to, especially in the postseason. I think the Bucks are successful because they have three number three options, they have three number four options, and they have three number five options, and they can fit in that role however they please each night. I mean, there's going to be matchups in the playoffs that dictate different things. I mean, yes, Giannis is going to go off every night. And, yes, Chris Middleton, although he had 15 points, is rarely going to have less than that in a game, if ever. And then you look at Lopez, Brogdon, and Bledsoe. Usually, 
one of those guys has a good night. So, you know, I teams are obviously stuck on three superstars. You got to get three superstars if you want to beat the Warriors. Well, not necessarily. If you can kind of have a hybrid third superstar that could be one guy any given night, what's the problem with that? Right, and I think this whole three superstars thing, like you said, to beat the Warriors is overblown because if you look at the Warriors, big reason why they're so darn successful is take away the fact that they have Curry, Durant, and Thompson. They all play together, and they're all very unselfish. And that's why you look at the Celtics. That's what the Celtics could be. Yes, they don't have the three-point shooting that the Warriors have, which is allows them to space it a little bit more. But that's the difference between the Bucks and the Warriors and the Celtics. It hit your turn, my turn. Basketball doesn't win championships. I'm sorry, no, it I, doesn't. I agree. It, it really just doesn't. seems like when I'm watching the Boston Celtics, I look at them as a team that really doesn't like playing with each other. No, that much. oh, that much. I don't. I think. I think those Kyrie Irving comments went a little further than people kind of assumed that it would. Um, you're talking about, I mean, Jason Tatum, what? He's 20 years old, right? Yeah, he's a baby. He's 20. Jalen Brown's young. These guys have emotions. And if Jason Tatum works his butt off this summer, ready to come back after killing it in the Easter Conference Finals last year and throughout the playoffs in general, you really got to, you know – there's chemistry issues just throughout that roster and they should be a lot better. I mean, I was laughing. I got home from the game last night and I saw Bill Simmons 67 and 12 or whatever it was, 67 and 12 or 11 um, (laughs) thing. And I'm like, I I said this in the beginning of the season. It's just not, it's not that easy. It's just not. And Kyrie's not Steph Curry either. No, he's not. And that's a big difference. And I'm not talking as a player because if Kyrie really wanted to change his game a little bit to be more like Steph Curry's, he could. He's so quick. He's so elusive. Yes, his best skill probably is going at the rim, dribbling. But he could have, if it meant winning a championship, wouldn't you change? Yeah, I mean, I would for sure. If you know, you're telling me you change your game, you're guaranteed not guaranteed, but you're better chance. Yeah, I don't see why not, but. I mean, when I look at the Celtics team, they're missing. They're also missing Aaron Baines, which I think is a big, big loss for them. He's really, he's really important to them on defense. Sure. If you just look at their bench: Semi Ojale, Gershon Yabusele, Daniel Tice, Terry Rozier. Jalen Brown had 15 points yesterday, but he was minus 14. So here, I'll go down. I'll go down the list for the bench. So Ojale minus 11, Yabusele minus four in five minutes. Daniel Tice didn't do anything in six minutes. He was minus nine. Rozier in 20 minutes was minus four, only scored four points. Like I said, Jalen Brown minus 14. So there's a really, really substantial drop-off when you're talking about Boston starters and then their bench, which I want to ask you is when you look at the Celtics team, do you think they are sort of, I wouldn't say the Bucks kryptonite, but if there's one team that could slow down the Bucks, it would be the Celtics? I think it's Kyrie Irving. It's not really the Celtics. I, I I've said this every time I've been asked this question, who do I, who would I least want to go against? And if you go to uh, Buck the Trend Pod on Twitter, you can voice your opinion. We have a poll out right now that's talking about uh, who you'd least like to see in the playoffs. And I chose the Celtics. Um, yeah, and me I, too. And, and it's because of Kyrie. Because 
when it comes down to it, and you mentioned it earlier, with three seconds to go and they got the ball in, I was thinking Kyrie's probably going to hit it because why would you not think that? He's done it so many times in his career. He missed the shot. It was a very difficult shot. Shouldn't have probably went off because he took seven seconds to pass it in. But that's neither here or there. But, you know, I just think Kyrie is sort of just kind of one of those guys that can go out there and hit huge shots. And that's the only thing I'm really scared of. Yeah, same same here. Boston, I look at them. When you, when you look at Boston sports as a whole, I feel like when you get to the postseason, whether it's the Red Sox, the Patriots, it's a mentality. Bruins, or the Celtics, you know, for every, whatever reason, I feel like all Boston sports, they have that devil's magic that they all go on some – no matter what sport, each Boston team goes on a miraculous run in the postseason. And I also feel like you throw in Boston's home court advantage, that's a big deal. Like the Bucks, obviously, they have – you know, a great home crowd at the Pfizer Forum, but it's not the same as playing at the parquet floor at the on the parquet floor where Boston plays in the Garden. It's definitely a whole. It's definitely a whole different animal, to be honest. Playing in Boston, uh, and we saw it last year. And the Bucks, if they win that game one, and you know, after Chris Middleton makes that miraculous shot to send the game into extra time, you know, the Bucks probably win that series. So. Yeah, I mean, they're, the Bucks are the number one seed. That's what the benefit is of being the best team in the regular season. You will have home court, and you do not have to win on the road. The whole East, the Bucks do not have to win a road game in the whole playoffs. Which is crazy to think about. Which is crazy to think about. They don't. I mean, obviously, we assume that they're going to beat up on the first-round series. We assume, because it's going to be an eight seed, and... In the eight seed in the Eastern Conference, that is just a borderline D2 team. Then you go there, and now you're in the final four in the East. So assume Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto, uh, you know, and Philly, maybe Indiana. Who knows? They've done – they're amazing right now. They deserve a ton of credit for what they're doing. Um, and then it's, you know, we have home court. I don't, I'm not scared of Boston in Milwaukee. Because we've beaten them in Milwaukee. I don't yeah. know. What's, what I thought was also very interesting about yesterday's game is the fact that the Bucks committed 15 turnovers to only 21 assists, and they also shot 42% from the floor. So, you know, typically when that's the case, I feel like most teams, whenever, you know, they finish with that kind of um, disparity between stats, you know, you're not going to win many games, but it does help when you make 14 three-pointers granted Boston made 14 as well. But I was, you know, when I saw that, I was a little surprised that Milwaukee was able to come out with the win, especially with how they started. That's fantastic. I mean, this is the – but you like to see this, though. You This, yeah, is, a, this is a win that you love to see. I mean, because it's a different win. The Bucks have been dominating teams this whole season. I mean, they lead the league in point differential by a substantial margin. I mean, I, I'm not sure if it's 10 still, but it was over 10 at one point. So it's got to be 10 or 9. And that's a ridiculous margin if you're thinking about over the course of what is it now? 68 what? 68 games we've played? Yeah. So it's ridiculous. <laughs> or 58. Look. And yesterday Boston outscored Milwaukee in every single quarter except the second quarter where the Bucks outscored Boston 33 to 25. So Yeah, you know, I feel like some parts during the game, I feel like, oh, this has a making of, you know, a typical, you know, your typical Bucks loss. But, you know, 
they just they just keep they just keep doing it you know it's i just don't know how to put it into words you know when you think of bucks basketball you don't you know think of first team in the east which is why i think you know it's important to have a podcast name like bucking the trend is like the bucks are changing they're changing the game they are and they're doing it in a way that hasn't been really seen ever because yeah, you can maybe argue the, you know, the Pistons or whatever, but you actually, if you, there is a team that this is kind of like, this is kind of like the Cavs. I mean, before, you know, I mean, maybe like when young Kyrie was there, maybe like the first, after the first or second year, LeBron came back. Cause like, maybe I'm putting like, Chris Middleton kind of at a young Kyrie standpoint right now. Obviously, he's not good as Kyrie, but if you're talking about – I mean, obviously, yes, Giannis is a better supporting cast than LeBron did in Cleveland at times. But the way that Giannis is doing this and elevating everyone and Budenholzer, I mean, it's unbelievable. I think if you combine Giannis and Budenholzer, you kind of equal the same impact as LeBron gives a team. Yeah, I could see that for sure, which is why – I don't understand why the MVP is really a discussion at this point. You know, I read something from the Action Network of Matt Moore that was headlined, James Harden's still the clear favorite for MVP. And I'm like, are you, like, are you kidding me? No. It's ridiculous. I don't, even think, I don't even think it's close. Like, you know, I'm not trying to be biased or anything, but, like, how could you look at Giannis and the drastic improvement that they made from last year and not think that he's MVP? I mean, like, come on. I know. It, it's it's actually ridiculous if you really look at all the numbers, too. Because I was listening – I was watching First Take this morning, and I don't know why I was doing that. But <laughs> Stephen A. is convinced that Paul George is the MVP. And he started listing off Paul George's numbers. And he was being – you know how he always is, very boisterous about it. Oh, well, Paul yeah. George is averaging 28, 8, and 4. Okay, well, Giannis is averaging 27, 12, and 6 on 58% shooting, while Paul George is shooting 45. Okay, he, and then the, Stephen A's other big thing was this. Well, Paul George is shooting 40% from three. Giannis is shooting 22. Okay, well, who has a better record? <laughs> you know, yeah, who has a better I think record? The fact, I think the fact that Giannis isn't even shooting that well from three kind of, you know, just sums up that he is sort of the MVP. You know, he's doing this without a jumper. You know, it's cliche and all that, but he doesn't need a jumper to dominate. No. I'm so tired of hearing that, oh, just wait till he gets a jumper, then he's going to be the best player in the league. Like, Maybe. he already is the best player in the league. At least this season he is, in my opinion. And that's what that's what Max Kellerman said. Max Kellerman came back at Stephen A, and he goes like that. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, right now, I would, I could argue that Giannis is the second best player in the NBA. I think he went even far as saying that. And you look, and he said this. He said if Giannis gets a jump shot, which he doesn't have a jump shot, but if he does, he will be the greatest player to ever live. And can you? I mean, well, just picture that. Just picture that in your head. That this random kid from Greece that we took in the draft randomly, no one knew who he was, might be the greatest player to ever live the game without a jump shot. With a jump shot. And it's and it's, it's entirely possible. That's an entirely plausible statement. He's 24 years old. And he's going to be the MVP. Well, Sky's the limit. Sky- I'm 23 years old. And, you know, I can't be saying that, you know, I'm going out there and dominating the NBA. But, 
Also, another thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap it up is, you know what? I kind of like how the Bucks aren't getting all these headlines. You know, like Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated just came out with a profile of for the Sixers, the 76ers yeah. for some reason, whatever. Each their own. Like, I love the fact that the Bucks are 44 and 14, 24 and 5 at home. Best record in basketball, best record in their conference, and they're still flying under the radar, which, you know, kind of baffles me. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I love it. Don't give them all the attention. Let the Bucks keep blowing teams out, keep winning, keep grinding it out, and, you know, just keep going about their business. And that's all they have to do for the rest of the season. They don't have a tough schedule going out, uh, going on forward here. So, you know, it's really – I'm not really concerned about – I'm looking for kind of more of, like, trends, I would say, that are going to help towards the playoffs. Like, I know the Bucks are good. I know the Bucks are going to be either a one or a two seed in the playoffs. What can I learn from these 25 games of having Miritich on the squad? And what am I going to learn from the 76ers game coming up? What am I going to learn from every other game against playoff teams? That's what has to be this mindset, trying different things because you're good enough to beat teams on a given night. So you can mess around with your lineups a little bit. As we saw, Budenholzer start to get a little creative with Miritich in the second quarter. So that's what this home stretch is about, getting to the playoffs and knowing what's up when it comes to your rotations. Right. And I love how Mike Budenholzer is not scared to mix it up, throw Sterling Brown, Tony Snell out there, you know, at a moment's notice, no hesitation. Still waiting to see Christian Wood unleashed, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But no, hey, I'm all my, here that's, for That's my guy, though. If I, <laughs> I have a serious man crush on Christian Wood. I don't know why. I just – and I've talked about this previously, but he's I just think that he's ultra talented and you know, obviously the books were smart, I think, to put him on the roster so they could retain his rights. Uh, and you know, just keep he just needs to keep working. I mean, can you imagine though, he just comes in the playoffs and plays a little defense? I think I mean there's I think there's a role for him on this team. I just don't think I think he got it here a little too late for that role to be established. Yeah. Almost. Well, you know, we could see down the line is if the Bucks lock up, you know, whatever seating they get, we could then see Christian Wood be unleashed for the last whatever few weeks of the season it's going to be. I'd be down for that. I have tickets to the last game against the Thunder. I'd love to see a little Christian Wood so action. So who knows? You might see a Christian Wood 40 point, 12 rebound, 30 block game. Who knows? Yeah. I'm going to petition to put a jersey on the Bucks website. I, I want one. <laughs> he's the only well, he's the only 35 I want in Milwaukee. <laughs> was was Mears at 35? Oh, no, no, yeah, I think he, no, no was he, he was, yes, yes. I, oh, oh yeah. man, because I, I kept calling him the I remember when I was watching, I kept calling him the white Kevin Durant, or he thinks he's the white <laughs> Kevin Durant just because of his numbers. Like, man. I'm telling you, that dude had no, he was not shy whatsoever, he was pulling it, no questions asked. Well, so my thing is. Is Nikola Mirotic what we thought Mirza Tladovic would have been if he was healthy, you know, for the Bucks? That's an interesting way to look at it. I don't hate I don't hate that whatsoever. I hope we get a little more uh value out of yeah, this. No, I would certainly hope so. But <laughs> I in mean, terms of like shooting. Yeah. I mean, 
And if you talk about how valuable his contract could end up being when you talk about his bird rights that we have, um, you know, that's a whole other story and could be a whole other podcast since this is number one. Um, but I know we did want to touch um, the Bucks. do. By the time you listen to this, it might be Saturday. So the Bucks are going to be playing either tomorrow or today, whenever you're listening to this. And they go against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, it's 90s night at Pfizer Forum um, on Saturday night. So, Obviously, the Timberwolves traded Jimmy Butler um, at the beginning of the season to the 76ers and got back Sarich and uh, Robert Covington. Pretty much, we're talking about the old Bulls here. Um, I think the Bucks can beat the old Bulls. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I mean, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I like what uh, Ryan Saunders has done since he took over since Thibodeau's been canned, but... Yeah, I mean, poor Minnesota, man. I feel so bad for that franchise. I, you know, it's they got to make a decision. No, you know what? I for totally, total mind fart. Carl Anthony Towns just signed a fat extension with them. Big during the off season. So, I my condolences know. to yeah. him. You're gonna be on the John Wall program real quick. Um, oh jeez, I would hope not. Yeah, I'm sorry, but um, honestly, when it comes to Carl Anthony Towns. I think he's ultra talented, but I just don't think he has it. I don't know what it is. I mean, I think he's just a little soft for me, and that's a tough thing to throw out at a guy that's seven foot and two hundred forty eight pounds. But when I watch him play, dude, I just don't see that edge. I mean, if you look at his like, if you kind of look over his life story and you look at like the schools that he went to and kind of the opportunities he had. He's pretty. He's had it pretty easy, and now you're in Minnesota, and you don't have really an organization that has any really legs, I guess, to stand up on. Except mm-hmm. Carl Anthony Towns, can he do it by himself? I don't think that's the answer. Uh, you know, and I remember a couple of years, like maybe it was even last year, someone was saying, "Oh, who would you start a ta- franchise with?" And people were saying Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, I- I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, like you said, the that edge. It's just he doesn't seem to have that winning edge. Edge. There's some nights where he'll look like one of the most dominant big men in the game, but and then he there are nights be. he could be the best center in the NBA. Yeah, no question. And then there's there's some nights that he comes down comes down the floor and just looks like excuse my language. He looks like ass. Yeah. No, I I agree. And but it's I wonder if go ahead. I wonder if playing for. Tom Thibodeau will do that to you. <laughs> He's running them in the ground. I mean, that's definitely uh, potential. Um, you know, I like I, – I didn't really – the T-Wolves are kind of weird because they're really old and they're really young all at the same time. So they probably have a real nice median age on the team, but they have a couple nice young guys that I think are all right. Uh, I think Sarich is going to be a nice guy for them. I think that was pretty nice to get him back for Jimmy Butler. Um, obviously, you know, you want to get it, maximize what you get for a guy like that. Right. But to get Sarich back, I mean, he's a serviceable starter in this league. Uh, Akoji, he's played pretty decently this year. So, I mean, I don't think there's anything really big to worry about other than Carl Anthony Towns. And I just, I don't know. I just really don't think Andrew Wiggins is. Oh, my God. Please don't even get me started on Andrew Wiggins. Let's, oh, let's, he's let's terrible. Go, let's go he's back. Terrible. Let's go back. Let's go back to like 2014 or 15 when the Bucks had the number two pick and they take Jabari. What a different universe this could be if the Bucks had the number one pick of the draft, right? No, really. And I mean, take, you just and think, they take Wiggins. Yeah, 
Oh, no thanks. Just looking at his profile in his game. Oh, man, I can't. I really can't. Stand yeah, it could place. be. I really can. It's it, just so disgusting to watch him play basketball. And, I mean, Jabari's obviously not on the team anymore, and we know how that happened. And in an alternate universe, who knows what could eventually happen. But, I mean, it could be crazy, to be honest with you. So, I expect the Bucks to win this game, though. I mean, the Timberwolves are 11th in the West at 27-30. and 30. Uh, You know. Yeah, not this re- is going to be a game where, you know, just – don't play with your food. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Bucks aren't the team that's paying $148 million to Andrew Wiggins. So it's a win-win. That's very true. <laughs> very true. All right. So I think that's going to do it for our inaugural edition of Bucking the Trend Pod. You can follow the podcast at Buck the Trend Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew G underscore NBA. And Dylan, you want to shout out your socials? Yeah, I'm at DP double underscore hoops check out that stuff we have we do me and andrew both do commentary during the game talking about what's going on what we're seeing out there um and we're hoping to get more involved on social media with our bucking the trend pod twitter account um so please feel free to follow uh you know retweet any of our content we're looking to gain quite a bit of listeners uh here so you know word of mouth always good as well so thank you for doing that 